Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Our last Sunday on earth before we started meeting as a church in Columbus, we spent with you, and you looked a little different. You were meeting in a different place, and there were fewer of you, and, uh, but it was encouraging to visit you and see, okay, this is how it is done. And so thank you for continuing to do it um, over these years. It's an encouragement to see many new faces and some old faces and some familiar faces and some familiar old faces. Um, we are, uh, as Alex said, in Columbus. Why are we in Columbus, Indiana, and not Columbus, Ohio? Well, we're not in Columbus, Ohio, because I went to IU. Um, actually, I, I grew up in a little community called Flint, Indiana. Have you ever heard of Flint, Indiana? Of course you haven't. If you raise your hand, you... Well, I may have told you about Flint. It's not Flint, Michigan. There was nothing wrong with our water. Um, we, we all had our own wells, and, and it was a happy place to grow up, but there were no people there. Um, Flint has maybe 100 people. We can't really say for sure because nobody's ever established city limits. It's somewhere between the cemetery and the creek, and the Creek Bank Road and the gun shop. Uh, we had a gun shop and a church, and... Um, the, the, the urban development uh, when I was in high school was we added an indoor archery range to downtown Flint, and uh, they were actually was on a different road from the gun shop, so it was, it was great. For years, the only way I could find my way home was on US 20 across the northern border of the state. This is northeast Indiana. Um, you would see the big yellow billboard, Flint Gun Shop and Trading Post. And so you would turn there, and then about six years ago, my math is not great, uh, you, you learned how to turn because over the gun shop sign, the owner put Trump. And so we could turn where it said Trump, this way. So uh, that's where I grew up, not a, not a very big place, not a lot happening. I said there was a gun shop and a church. We didn't go to that church um, because we weren't Methodists, we were Presbyterians, so we went to Salem Center. And Salem Center had a church. And we knew that the people who lived in that trailer lived in Salem Center. I'm not really sure what else was, or who else was in Salem Center. It is hard to remember for some of us, and it's hard to imagine for you younger folk, how isolated a person can be from the broader Christian world. Um, there were no choices. If you wanted to hear a sermon, you went to that particular church. Nobody that I knew or had ever met heard a sermon from somebody who wasn't their pastor, their preacher. And most of the churches there, we needed church plants up there. We needed Bible-believing churches, and we didn't have them. Um, we did have Christians. We had Christians who were in the ministry. Fortunately, one came to visit my mother shortly after she had me. Uh, she had just lost a baby a year and a half before, and uh, so the pastor's wife came to visit her, and she said, you know, uh, this is good fishing technique. Uh, wouldn't you, you have this little baby boy now? Wouldn't you like to know that you could always be with him? Yeah. 
And that's like right in the heart of any young mother. So she's, and she was sort of raised with a vague understanding of Christianity. So she, she believed the gospel. And somewhere around that time, my father also, who was also raised in the church, became a believer. And one of my first memories is my mother buying him a Bible. Uh, so I don't know who came first or what, but I remember kind of the very beginning of their Christian life. And then I grew up. I was the child in the church. I had, uh, finally we called a pastor uh, after several years of being without, and he had two kids, and that was our youth group. Okay? So we didn't go to Sunday school because my dad was a dairy farmer. So I got VBS, and I got uh, Mrs. Caswell, who was a, an older lady, not that much older as it turns out, but she would come to an elementary school teacher, you know, uh, elementary school kid, she was older. She would come in, she would wheel, uh, wheel in this little cart. Whenever I thought of bag lady, I always thought, this is casual. She wasn't poor, she wasn't a nun, that's what I thought for a long time. Mrs. should have been my first clue. But she would teach us the flannel board Bible lessons in the public school. If we signed a release form, we could go and we could, and that was, that was how I learned anything. Uh, by God's mercy. So after that, I, I remember being in McDonald's. I was working every Sunday this, the summer after my senior year and, um, because I was reliable and they needed people reliable to work on the weekends. And, um, and I remember uh, we, I worked with a Pentecostal lady and she, she was always going off about something. And one day she overheard that I was missing church. That's that. So she said, so I assume you're a Christian? And I thought, But I said yes, because, you know, we were part of a church. But I really didn't know, for reasons that hopefully I'll come back to in the sermon. But when you have to absorb everything passively, and it's before the internet, and before Ligonier Ministries gets to you, you just kind of believe whatever people tell you, and I believe some really odd things about becoming a Christian. And it's probably why my parents delayed so long, because they heard some really odd things about becoming a Christian. So I sort of thought, I was kind of interested in Jesus and thought, maybe I belong to him, I don't know. This is, this is what it means to be a covenant child in a church that doesn't tell you what a covenant child is. You know. I went to college, and when I was in college, I finally heard a clear gospel message, clearly orthodox preaching. I didn't know the word orthodox, but I, I knew that when I went home, I had to walk back uh, along the sidewalk to campus with a friend of mine, and I knew hey, there, I, there, there are things I need to deal with. There are, there are sins that are real, and I got them. And so we would talk about that and being convicted, and oh, I guess that's wrong. I guess that's right. Clarity started to dawn. So I, I, after a few years and becoming a Christian and myself and actually understanding the gospel, I began to work with a youth group at a church in town there and uh, actually worked with Tim and married his secretary um, after a while. So things worked out well in Bloomington. went to RTS in Jackson. I decided to go into the ministry uh, because math teaching was not a passion. But Bible class was. I loved learning about the scriptures and telling people about the scripture. So we went to RTS Jackson. I was there for uh, three years, in which time I learned to check cotton 
uh, in the summers and learned um, some other things in seminary, um, learned to have a family. It was a great, great time to have your first children because everybody was there with you. And, uh, and then I was called to First Presbyterian Church in Charleston, Mississippi, which had just recently come into the PCA from the PCUSA, and they had had some strange encounters. And you can talk to the Patricks about that because I told them all about it last night, late into the uh, wee, wee hours. Um, but the whole time I was in that church in Charleston, Mississippi, it's a little town of 2,000 people, they had a McDonald's. And we were driving into town. Remember, I'm the small town guy. They didn't have a gun shop, but they had a McDonald's. And when we passed the McDonald's, we thought, I could live here. You know, that's big city living. And there were 2,000 people there, and uh, there was a little, little church that had a little life in it. And we, we spent 12 years as um, the pastor's, pastor and his family in Charleston. We had three more children uh, who were born to us, and the Lord graciously let us raise. And while I was there, uh, I just noticed that when there was a problem, who are you going to call? You call your friends, you call the guys that you trust. And I kept calling guys that weren't in my presbytery. I kept calling Max Carell, kept talking to Tim. Um, I was talking to evangel guys before there was an evangel, but it was, it was the guys in Bloomington. And so, long story short, when it came time to uh, somebody in Columbus, wanted a church in Columbus, and they reached out to me and said, think, think you want to do that? I said, well, what do I know about church planning? You got to be young. You got to be as good looking, at least, as Joseph Bailey. And you have to be, you know, a people magnet. And I check, check, check. No, but I wanted, I wanted to be close to, to these guys. I wanted to be, you know, closer to where I grew up. And I wanted to be able to lean on faithful men like Alex McNeely, uh, who I have discovered is all the gifts that I lack. And I desperately need men like Alex um, to lean on. And so we moved to Columbus. We moved to Columbus in 2019. Uh, Columbus, Indiana, is Athens on the Prairie. Okay, so they're very proud of themselves. They have lots of architecture, uh, but it's, uh, as uh, Ken Patrick said last night, it's architecture from the wrong period. Um, it's all the ugly architecture that is only interested in people who don't know what beauty is because... They're educated. And uh, there's some interesting churches there that were founded. One was founded because a group of people denied the virgin birth, and so they left their church to found a more reasonable church, and they hired an architect and designed this beautiful church that looks like an oil can, you know. And now it's empty. It belongs to the city. Um, only took 40 years for them to lose all of those members. Uh, the PCUSA church down the road um, is beautiful because it's older, but uh, as, I, as I like to point out, there's on top of the steeple, there's a cross, and on top of the cross, I'm not kidding, there's a weather vane. So that's the church you go to to find out which way the wind blows. And um, it, 
throughout Columbus, that's, that's kind of the ethos. There are some good churches, some, some good, mostly fine churches. Um, but along the way, there are, there are strange hang-ups, and we'll get to this in the sermon, where people will come to your church and they won't come back because you have the temerity to say something like, good morning, at the very beginning of the service, rather than, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Lord. Okay, so big Lutheran population, big uh, disciples of Christ, um, which is awkward explaining, I'm not a disciple of Christ. I, I mean, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't go to a Christian. I mean, okay, the Christian church is big in Columbus. They are, uh, Columbus is the home of Cummins engines. So if you, if you own a pickup truck, you want what we got. Um, and they employ scads and scads of people and have made actually a very stable and nice-looking community on the outside, and, but they're changing over. Now they have, um, they've begun recruiting from overseas. So rather than the conservative-minded engineers, um, now they're getting people from... I think we're about to build our first Hindu temple in town, so it's becoming very not Indiana before our eyes, which is an opportunity. Um, but, uh, but do please pray for that, the direction of Columbus. Uh, moving to Columbus from Bloomington was real nice. And now they're, they're, they're wanting to be Bloomington, you know, the home of IU. Um, so we moved there in 2019. Um, we had uh, two families besides us that were there with us, uh, moved shortly thereafter. Uh, then COVID shut us down, sort of, or delayed our start. We came to visit you. Then we started in the fall of 2022, uh, 2020, excuse me. Um, and since then, we've, we've enjoyed getting to know one another. Um, lots of opportunity for pastoral care and a little core group as we all learn how to be a Christian, Christian family, some of us first-generation Christian families. Um, with all of the baggage that that entails. Um, currently, right now, we have six families and a single dude. And uh, after we hired our assistant pastor, who is a truck driver full-time, this single guy shows up, um, who, lo and behold, what do you think he does for a living? He's a truck driver. <laughs> it's just great. Immediately, we have a guy for Joe Helt, who is our assistant, to to speak into his life and rescue him from a very terrible situation. And he's done that. And uh, the other families, one is a, a man who's come out of uh, the independent fundamental Baptist background by way of the RP Church, Reformed Presbyterian, um, which, you know, that he's in that particular group. Um, and uh, another local family. We've had some occasional visitors. The people that we moved in next door to came and have visited a few times, a man from our neighborhood. So we're growing. We're trying to reach out. We're, we're trying. So um, we would like you to, to pray for us as we're in Columbus and we, as we get traction, as more people find out about us. Right now we're meeting in a little, 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 teeny, tiny little church building. Um, There's more than enough for us for right now unless we had about two more families. And, uh, but we just moved Joe Helt into our neighborhood, so we don't want to leave just yet. Um, and, 
it's, it's, an, it's an interesting community. So pray for us. We need to be diligent to recognize and create opportunities to reach out to those neighbors. Uh, we, we just went caroling, Christmas caroling. You ever been Christmas caroling? Anybody Christmas caroling? Really? Come on, big city people. Okay, people from not from around here. In this neighborhood, Joe and I admitted to each other right afterward, we thought we were going to be shot. You know, we, why are we doing this? The day of, we thought, these people don't want to. And we did it. We brought our families, you know, to soften the. Everybody loves children. And really, everybody loved it. And we had people visit afterward because of it. So just little easy things like that. We don't want to miss. We want to take advantage of every opportunity. So pray that we'll keep doing that. And yes, we do need outside support for prayer and, and for finances. On, on the back table there, on the welcome table, there are these slips of paper that you can put your name, your email address, phone number, mailing address. We can send you a newsletter to keep you updated on what we're doing in Columbus. Um, and then there's a, a box on the lower right-hand corner there to check if you might be interested in supporting or you want to think about it or want more information about supporting our church. I, I urge you to check that box and then you can just slip this into the offering box at the back there. Uh, and we would appreciate it. We'd appreciate getting to know you and telling you more about what's going on in Columbus. So with that, that's us. Um, do keep, keep us in your prayers. Um, right now, I want to go to 1 Timothy. And the reason I want to go to 1 Timothy, if you have your Bibles, you can open to 1 Timothy chapter 1. In a nutshell, I think what, Tim, what Paul tells Timothy in this first chapter I don't know if we need a stretch break or something, or you can yawn, or get a cup of coffee now. We're switching gears. Now the sermon. But the sermon has something to do with what I just said. The church is new for Paul in Paul's day. Church is a new thing. And in Ephesus, there's a new church. It's a few years old. We're not sure how, how old exactly. But he's telling the guy that is left behind to be their pastor, to be the head elder, to be the guy in charge of everything. He's telling him, look, I want to come back to you pretty soon, but if I can't make it back, there are some pretty basic things you need to know that you have to do in the household of God. I want you to know these basic things. Um, you have iPhones? There's, there's a set. You don't have to keep raising your hands. I'll just look for the head nods, and that, that's good. Or blink once with your left eye, and I'll know. But if you have, you have a certain, certain smartphones have these features when you take a photo, and it's a focus, it's a portrait thing. So when you take the photo, there's this center part that's in focus, and everything else is a little blurry. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's trying to say, get your camera focused on these things. In chapter 1, verse 5 of 1 Timothy, Paul zeroes in on the main thing. He says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's the goal. If you don't hit that mark, you lose. This is for the church, well, what 1 Corinthians 13 is for the church. Okay. There's a goal, and what is it? 
You know how Paul says to the Corinthians, look, you can speak in tongues all you want. You don't love people? You're a clanging symbol. You're a crashing symbol. And so Paul here says, Timothy, your job right out of the gate is teach them not to teach strange doctrines. Anything that takes them away from this goal of our instruction, love from a pure heart, and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So remember the story of the soccer fans? I think they were French soccer fans. They got on a plane after Friday, Friday work. They, they bought plane tickets to go to the soccer game, soccer match, football match in Budapest. And they landed, they got off the plane, they'd apparently never been to Hungary because it took them to the bus ride to the stadium to figure out, we landed in Bucharest. They were 500 miles off the mark because of a couple letters <laughs> they got wrong. Fortunately, there's still a football match, and they still got to watch the football match. But look, little teeny tiny little errors lead to big misses. If you ever sighted in a gun, you've, you've got a scope, and you, you just take out, you got your little, you turn the click, click, and you can't see anything change. But suddenly, you can hit the target. Now, Paul is saying, there are some people who are teaching really interesting things. Things that appeal to your curiosity. You can sit down with a book and start reading and your mind just goes off the page. You cannot get that information into your head. Turn on the television and Hollywood knows how to just pour things into your brain and hit the mark every time. But did you know that there are teachings that go around in churches that are like that? They cry out to us where we, where we itch. And they make us want to hear more because suddenly the preacher is somebody just like us and he's telling me to be more like me. Okay, The manosphere. You know, guys love to be told how important we are and how strong we need to be and how we can spend all of our time working out and strutting and you know, looking like this. But Paul says, these guys who are teaching these things, it's, it's strange doctrine. Actually, what he says is it's, it's other doctrine. And for Paul to say other, you know, something other than what I teach, it's bad. It's bad news. So you think about the, the other doctrines that the church loves to think about. Um, in Columbus, we have lots of homeschoolers. I'm kidding. So we homeschool. Okay? And we also have some Christian school, a Christian school kid, and a co-op. We've, we've done it all. I'm, I'm a product of public school. But the homeschool community can be a little odd. I hate to say this, but I'm talking about my family. Um, there are things that just go rampant in, in places where we've made it our business to decide everything about our business. You know, I don't have to listen to any external authority. I get to be my man. And my family gets to live with it because I'm the head of my home. And I'll be the teacher. I'll be the pastor. I'll be the everything all in one. You know, 
Separation of powers is a really great thing. But there are movements that spring out of these communities. There's, uh, we, we've just come in contact with some folks that believe, well, we don't need to go to church. We need to, they have their rabbi friend who's a Messianic Jew, and he teaches them really interesting things about history and the Bible and Hebrew. And okay. Now, I could have gone down that rabbit trail. I love Hebrew. I don't remember any of it now, but I, I love studying that stuff. And boy, it feels good to enter into the secret, you know, you show people your homework and they're like, I don't understand that. It's the same feeling I got when I was taking calculus. You know, look what I can understand. I bet you can't do this. That's bad. That's bad. Don't be like that. Paul's writing to people saying, the most important thing about our instruction is love. You know what you need to do to love people? The first thing, you got to know somebody. You got to be around a person to love them. Basic thing. And this is what you owe to everyone. Let there be no outstanding debt, he says to the Romans, except this, to love each other. But we could go on. We, a new perspective on Paul. That was a really interesting thing for some of my seminary buddies. Federal vision, uh, radical two-kingdom theology. Let's study how to keep... Um, what the church believes out of the public sphere, the house church movement, pedo communion, celibate gay Christianity, all these interesting ways we can say, actually, we don't have to resist the world. The world has some things right, and we need to learn more things about it. And Paul says that's an other doctrine. Don't have anything to do with it. Because what does it lead to? Mere speculation. And all these things lead away from the administration of God, which is by faith. He even says in chapter 6, verse 3, he talks about this other doctrine. Chapter 6, verse 3, if anyone advocates a strange doctrine, same phrase, and does not agree with sound words, Paul would say, my words, what I've taught you, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited. He's conceited. He's looking for an audience. Look at what I've discovered. There's a fellow that's visited with us a few times, and at the end of every service, he'll bring me aside and he'll look at this app on his smartphone, and he's found some things that I bet I've, he bets I've never noticed about his. Now, on the one hand, that can be really exciting when what he's discovering is the truth the church has always known, but oftentimes it's a distraction. It's a distraction to take his mind and his time off of Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. So the goal is love. Everything about the Christian life, the Christian instruction, the command that Paul has given to Timothy, which Paul received from Jesus, is love manifested in the Christian life through three channels, okay? So we're going to talk about a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. A good, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So for our church, whenever you see our name, you'll often see that phrase. And what we mean is, this is what we want to remember, to aim for. I am deficient, naturally, in all of these things. First of all, love. I didn't tell you I'm an only child. It took me until I was about 48 to really love kids. 
because I had five of them, and it was time, you know, this year. I've turned to, and I, I didn't know what to do with kids when I was growing up. I didn't, didn't, and I didn't know what to do with people, because I had this farm to myself. And <laughs> love, it doesn't come naturally. But love is, is the purpose. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He had to teach us how, what love looked like, and that took his son being crucified. That's love. I thought love was the girl down the road. It's a John Denver song, I think. Um, but no, love is actually dying for somebody, laying down your life for somebody, putting all of your plans and all of your hopes aside. I was talking to a volunteer one day a week at a pregnancy center, you know, and some of the things you hear are, well, you know, this wasn't what we'd planned, and, well, no kidding. But is, is the man you're meeting with, is he willing to put aside those financial goals, those life goals, those education goals, and lay down his life for his baby that's on the way? Yeah, that's what we want them to do. Love from a pure heart. How do we know what love is? Love is from a pure heart. This word, uh, pure heart, how, how many of us could say that we have a pure heart? Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says. Well, everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount. I can keep the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, you got a pure heart? We asked one of our kids, do you have clean hands and a pure heart? From the psalm, you know, he says, well, I don't know about my hands. My heart's pure. <laughs> We had, to, we had to reteach a little bit there, but it's hard, to, it's, it's hard to have a pure heart. It's impossible because within you are all of those appetites that lead you down those rabbit holes that make you want to puff yourself up. You have pride in you that make you want everyone around you to think well of you. I want you to think well of me so, so that you'll fill out this piece of paper and turn it in. But that's not what a, a pure heart is. A pure heart isn't self-seeking. doesn't seek its own. But a pure heart is how Jesus, pure is how Jesus describes those dishes that they were good at wiping out the outside of the dishes, but inside, you know, inside, what's inside? We need pure hearts, and we cannot, you cannot go to heaven without a pure heart. You're just not going to get there. And the more I spend time in confession of sins, the more I think how hopeless it is to have a pure heart. But what is Paul doing? He's drawing us to a specific need, a specific interest, something that does need to swallow all of our focus. God loved you enough to provide for your cleansing. And another apostle will save. He's... If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify. Why do we keep confessing our sins? Because we always need to remember what we need to be purified from. Forensically, you know, the cross took away all sins, past, present, future, but I'm still a sinning dirty dog, and I still need to be purified, and I'm still finding out places in my heart where the gospel needs to go. And I'm still finding out 
how tightly I clutch to my reputation, to my lusts, to my covetousness, to my angers. I still need purification. I still need Jesus. The goal of our instruction is love from a purified heart that keeps needing to be purified. A good conscience. Conscience, one author said, this is a life of obedience as an outcome of our awareness of our responsibility to live as God commands believers to live. But do you really need to know what conscience is? One of Paul's big themes in Scripture is you already know. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. You already know. There are details, but you already know. Um, a co- uh, another volunteer recently went to uh, Hawaii and she was talking to the office staff at, and she says, uh, you know, we got to see the whales. We got to fly from one island to the other in Hawaii, this great once-in-a-lifetime trip. And she says, how can anybody, when they see that, not believe in God? That's, that's right, but you know, Nobody go, no believer comes from Hawaii and lands in Indiana or Ohio in the winter and says, I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> because everybody knows, even if you're from northeast Indiana, I mean, northern Indiana is flat. Around here, there's a couple of rolls. It's a little more interesting, but, and it's cloud-covered all the time. But there are birds there's grass in the spring. There's beautiful snow if you don't have to drive. And when you look in the mirror, there's you. Everybody can see that God has created us. Everybody knows this. And it's the suppression of this that makes people dumb. And when Paul talks about a good conscience, he's not saying, okay, now you... you you need me to tell you to build your conscience up. He says, you, you have enough to know. Now you need to keep your good conscience. Do what you know. We are, our consciences are formed in the womb from general revelation. Everybody can see. Everybody knows what is right or wrong. We, we know enough to know that we are lost and sinners, and we're not God. God is amazing, and I ain't him. And so when Paul says the goal of our instructions is love from a, from a good conscience, how do I get a good conscience? A purified heart that now knows I've been forgiven and I have a Father in heaven who loves me and who will now direct me my steps. You know, we're born again so we can have a new youth and grow up and, and have all of those rough edges refined and finally our conscience is able to see clearly what it's been screaming at us about for years. Our consciences are inflamed until we're in Christ, and then it finally knows what health is, and it's, we're able to have a good conscience. So whatever you're teaching, you're following, it's not going to turn out well unless it is producing in you a good conscience and a sincere faith, which is a trust God without hypocrisy. So back to love, how do you know if somebody has a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith? Well, one of the ways you can do that is to look at who they're living with. Um, 
There are all kinds of storms in my brain that you can't see. I, I live with myself, and I talk to myself, and all kinds of lies get entertained by myself. But you know who else sees them are my wife and my children. Um, if I stand up here and with the tongue of angels, I can see it in your eyes. Some of you are just glazed over because the, the soaring rhetoric, you know. And if I can teach and I can keep you enthralled for 68 minutes every Sunday, like I'm bound to do today, how do you know if I'm actually a believer and actually living a fruitful, godly Christian life? You can talk to one of my children. You can see how they relate to each other, how they relate to their mother. You can see if um, my daughter actually came home last weekend and liked it. You know, do, do people like being around you? Or are you the person that's always, oh, again with the, you know, he, he talks about endless genealogies. There are myths and endless genealogies, and that's the voice of exasperation. No genealogy is actually endless. But you've been with people who just go on and on and on. And there's, there's a television show uh, that I, I used to watch when I watched television shows. And it's about a psychiatrist who has a radio show. And on the radio show, the people call him with their psychological problems. And he listens and he gives them advice, something that could never happen in the real world effectively. But what also could never happen in the real world is he's really honest with them. One man calls into the, the show and he says, you know, my wife and I are having this fight. I, I need you to help me convince her um, to go with my name for the boat they're arguing about naming a boat. And the psychiatrist says, at Cornell University, there is this extraordinary machine. It's called a tunneling electron microscope. And it can resolve to, to atoms. We can see atoms with this thing. It's amazing. Roger, if I had the use of that electron microscope, I could not, I could still not locate my interest in your problem. If, if we believe Christ, if we are born again, if he is the center of everything, if he has caused us to be born again, he becomes the most interesting thing in life. And all these other rabbit trails, all these other issues, all these other puffed chests and swaggering academics, they become as boring as help my wife and I name our new boat. I don't care. Leave me alone. Let me tell you what really is precious. And that's what Paul does. He says to Timothy after that initial beginning, teach them not to teach. He talks about his qualifications. He says, these guys don't know anything about the law. What is the law for? It's for those who, and he names all of those false teachers' sins the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. If you don't stick to sound teaching, what are you? You're giving in to father-mother murder, adultery. You're giving in to homosexuality. You're giving in to perjury. You're giving in to everything. When you let Satan steer you with your pride 
you will do anything against Jesus. He says, no. If all you know about a person is how clever he is, just remember me. And then he says, verse 12, he gives his qualifications. How can Paul be a, a teacher in the church? Well, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jew, a Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, from the tribe of Benjamin. He was, does he say any of that here? He says none of that here. What does he say? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful. What was Paul before Jesus saved him? Putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer. Jesus considered him faithful, as in, I know what I'm going to do with this guy. I'm going to make him faithful. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and persecutor and violent aggressor, yet I was shown, this is his qualification, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now for Paul to tell you I was an idiot is is not old Paul. That's not the Paul you grew up with. If you grew up with Paul, I was ignorant. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among, who I am foremost, among whom I am foremost of all. In other words, I was leading the charge. I was anti-Christ. That's what Paul was. He was anti-Christ. And in his day, he was striving to be the anti-Christ. And he never would have said that because you can't be anti-Messiah and be a Jew. But I was anti-anti-Jesus. I hated these Christians with a perfect hatred. There was nothing lacking in me, no sympathy. So that when everybody stoned Stephen, remember they stoned Stephen? I was the guy they put their coats at his feet. Because I was the guy going, okay, I'll make sure you get it. Yeah, here's a rock. You know, he was overseeing the death of Christians. What's my qualification? God had mercy on me. God had mercy on me. I was the worst of sinners. And God had mercy on me so that every other sinner born from now into eternity can say, God saved Saul. He'll rescue me. He can rescue me. I was foremost in sin so that I could be shown, I could be the one on whom God demonstrates the commitment, the determination of his mercy. I was bloodthirsty. And Jesus came after me to say, I'm mercy thirsty. Jesus wanted to show mercy on Paul. And Paul tells all these young upstarts, that's what you look for in a leader. That's what you look for in your teachers. What they major on is that God had mercy on me and saved me. And he's born with me patiently all these years, and he's growing me, and I love him. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are in Jesus. 
And then what does it lead him to? Verse 17. Okay, you academic-minded, you know, Westminsterian people, what's the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Thank you for that. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But when you tell your testimony, this is why I live, to glorify him Let me tell you how awful I was. Let me tell you how merciful he was. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Not by my mind, not by my pride, but by my misery that God saved me out of. So he could be glorified that somebody like me became his son. And And Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother. And if if that ever doesn't make your mind just explode, you've lost it. You're off track. You've forgotten love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul remembers who he is and he worships. And Paul leads the church. This command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made. You fight the good fight. Now what is the fight? Keep those men from distracting God's people. Well, you know, I think N.T. Wright has a no. Well, you know, I I read that Tim Keller actually said no. We're going to stay on track, we are going to listen to the pattern of sound words. And we are not going to be distracted by everyone who says, I have found a nuance. Bing! Actually, what we think the state of first century Judaism was, was bing! And you, you've seen a rope begin to give way? This is what it is. These little bing! Bing! Actually... We don't need to believe that, Dr. Ding! Actually, you know, when Paul said this, he, he was probably just being a product of his ping time, and before long, you fall. It doesn't take any time to fall. And what is the end? Look at the end. Timothy, you keep faith in a good conscience. Some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Podcasts are powerful. Books on yourself are powerful. That new guy you found on YouTube is powerful. But it's not the power you're looking for. It's a power that leads you away from Jesus because it leads you to you. It builds you up so that you don't have to worship anybody but you. It leads you to call other people to worship you because, boy, I've figured it out. Don't do that. You have a king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. To him be honor and glory forever and ever and ever. So what is your test of the, of the Christian life? I, I grew up in a church that didn't teach. 
you left feeling encouraged. And we were driving away from church every Sunday, and my dad would just say things about how deficient it was. And I thought, how can you speak against the pastor? And I'm not in favor of speaking against pastors until they're not pastors anymore, until they're not teaching. There are people in this world who are who are going after all kinds of false doctrines, and they're losing sight of Jesus because no one will tell them about Jesus. How many churches did you pass coming here today? Doesn't that feel weird? I'm starting a church, and I pass a dozen churches. And I think, is this what we need to be doing? If I, when I was in high school, I would have run over somebody who could just sit me down and say, this is the gospel. You know, and okay, there's a church in my town, there's a church in the town next door, there's churches in every street corner, but they long ago they went after these other teachings. And now I finally get to conservative, reformed, evangelical, and I find out it's all happening again. And why is it happening again? Because the same people are in the pews putting up with it. We don't love Jesus because we love ourselves. We're too satisfied with ourselves that we're peeling off of love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. We're peeling off of, God had mercy on me. Listen, parents, what I want you to do for your children is not to tell them about how you got into college, how you got your job, how they're to have this kind of work ethic and how they're not going to have that work. What you need to tell your children is, I was, I was and God had mercy on me. Do they know your testimony? Do they know your stumblings? They, they need to know that because they need to know what you're trusting and what you hope for for them. Will you do that? Do you want them to worship Jesus? Or do you want your in-laws to worship and admire, worship and admire them? And if you can't feel that tug in you, you're not being honest. I want people to see the glory of Jesus because I myself am glorious. No. I just want people to see Jesus. Jesus.